to start by asking you a question. I'm going to ask you an honest question. I'm going to ask you to give me an honest answer. How many of you would love to be rich? Raise your hands if you would love to be rich. Come on. Come on, y'all. Those of you that, no, no, I'm fine with where I am. No, no, no. How many of you would love to be filthy, stinking rich? Raise your hands. Mine's high. Okay. And how many of you, second question, would say, if I was rich, I wouldn't be one of those people that doesn't know how to handle being rich. I would be wise in my riches. Raise your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't be one of those athletes that went out, spent millions of dollars, and, you know, now they're bankrupt. I wouldn't be that, that Hollywood person that's such a jerk, you know, that, you know, that allows that, those things to go to their head. I wouldn't be somebody who wins the lottery and, and you know, ends up refining my resume because I spent all the money. If I was a rich person, I would know how to handle being rich. I want to give you a secret. A couple of you in the room have heard me say this secret before. For some of you, this will be new. It's something really exciting. I've been waiting all week to tell you this. Everybody look this way. All eyes on me. This is going to be a great moment. This is going to be worth you coming to church this morning. Okay, watch this. You are rich. Now, some of you go, I have no idea what you're saying right now. What do you mean I'm rich. I'm not rich. So here's the the issue with with richness. The Wall Street Journal did a survey years ago, and what they found out as they interviewed Americans is that everybody views the person that makes double what they make, double their income, as a rich person. So if you make $20,000, you think somebody that makes $40,000 is rich. If you make $40,000, You think somebody that makes $80,000 is rich, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so here's the problem that that leads to. The problem is that no one is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. No one is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. And I want to just let you know, according to globalrichlist.com, if you make $20,000, you are in the top. 3% of wage earners in the world. If you make $33,000, hold up, wait a minute, okay, watch this. You you are in the top 1% of wage earners around the world. If you don't believe me, here's what I want you to do. Get out your phones right now. Everybody get out your phones, and I want you to go to this this website right now, okay, globalrichlist.com. It's going to ask you a couple questions, and then you're going to push – you're going to push the, uh, a button there, and it's going to tell you what percentage of richness that you are in. Go ahead. You can do that, okay? And it's going to tell you exactly how rich you are because I'm trying to help us here and prove to you that really here we are all pretty much rich. So you're going to find out all of these, the, these incomes that are all across the board here in the room. You're going to find out that we're really all rich. And as you look at that, I also want to ask you some practical questions because there's a couple of you that still don't believe me, okay? Here's what I want to ask you. How many of you in the room, I want you to raise your hands, have ever done what's called an upgrade? Raise your hands if you've ever done any kind of an upgrade on anything, okay? An upgrade could be on anything. For some of you, an upgrade, here's what this looks like. This looks like you have something that works, but you want something newer and better than, than the thing that does work. So in other words, I have a car, my car works great, but my car doesn't have leather. 
My car doesn't have that new leather smell. My car doesn't have, you know, all of the bells and whistles. I don't have a sunroof on my car. So what do we do? We trade in our car and we get an upgrade. In fact, we actually have whole television shows about this. For those of you that are HGTV viewers, how many of you HGTV people in the room? Yeah, okay. This is like, hey, you have a kitchen. Everything works in the kitchen, but you don't like that kitchen. Let's tear down that kitchen and let's build a new kitchen. That's called an upgrade. And Apple, the company Apple, actually makes a lot of money off of this for us because what we are, many of us, addicted to is we have an iPhone. That iPhone works just fine, but wait, I need the new iPhone. Why? It takes better pictures. Even though I didn't ever notice that my pictures were bad, just the thought that I could have an even better resolution uh, than I have right now, I have to have an upgrade. I got to tell you something. Only rich people do upgrades. If you don't believe me, I want you to travel around the world with me. Only rich people do upgrades. Here's, here's a second practical way that you're rich. How many of you have ever stood in front of a closet You've looked at a closet full of clothes, and you've said, some of you said it out loud, you've said, I have what? Nothing to wear! And all the husbands said, amen, yeah. I have nothing to wear. Meanwhile, you've got workout clothes, you've got, you know, work-in clothes, you've got clothes for church, clothes for work, you've got casual business, you've got business, you've got everything you can imagine. But we have nothing to wear. Third, practical question that proves that we're all rich in this place. How many of you have an animal that you pay for its medicine, its food, now watch this, and its emotional well-being? Okay? How many of you have a dog or a cat or some kind of an animal in your house? Okay? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You're rich. They do not do that in other parts of the world. They don't have animals that they take care of they have animals that they let's move on yeah they eat you got it you got it so I asked you two questions as we started I asked you how many of you want to be rich and then I asked asked you how many of you if you were rich would know how to handle being rich well now I've taken a couple minutes and by now you're all on board with me and I've proved to you that you are rich so now we've got to answer that second question how do I handle being rich there was this guy named Paul that was a super intelligent guy that started a whole bunch of churches. And other than Jesus, he was the greatest leader in all of the Bible. And he was actually seeing this problem in multiple churches, this problem of being rich. And he writes to this church in Ephesus through his son in the faith, a guy named Timothy, who's pastoring this church in the city of Ephesus. And the way that this would work is Paul would write these letters and then his son would actually read the letters to the church in front of the whole church. And he writes about being rich in this passage in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Here's what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now let's just walk through this really slowly here today. First Timothy 
6.17, part A says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you're rich, don't get arrogant about it. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. You're rich, don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant about being rich. And then he goes on to say, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. He's saying that something happens here, that as we accumulate stuff, there's a transfer of trust that takes place, where we begin to trust in what we are accumulating, and we transfer our trust to the stuff or to the money or to the resources that God has given us. The writer of Proverbs, who was a very rich man, said it like this. He said, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. In other words, we are all building this imaginary wall that's unscalable. This wall that we build to protect us, to protect our family, to protect our children, our grandchildren, to protect the generations to come. And we're building this wall, and the wall is built because we're trying to protect ourselves and our families from all of the things that could go wrong in this life. We're trying to protect them from what if there's an economic, you know, depression that happens, God forbid. What if... What if something happens where there's a, 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 a catastrophic weather event? How many of you know? We know lots about that here, don't we? Okay? And so we're trying to protect ourselves from that. We're trying to protect our futures, okay? Because we don't know how many days we have here on this planet. So you're building this wall, and you're trying to build it so high that, that you're building it because you want to protect your family and yourselves from anything that could go wrong. Well, here's a question for you. How much more do you need to feel like you have no fear and that wall is high enough that you've got a financial uh, protection for you, for your household? And the answer is the same for all of us. How much more do I need? More than what I currently have, right? And so we're all working at it. We're trying hard. And what happens is as we work at this, this transfer of trust takes place, and that leads to a question. Here's a direct question, very direct, kind of in your face, but a question for myself and for you. Do you trust money or do you trust God? Yeah, that's about the response I thought I would get, yep. Do you trust money or do you trust God? Or you could say it like this. You've got to trust in God who gives us money instead of trusting in the money he gives us. That's so good, Pastor Wayne. Good, I'll I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it, yeah. We've got to trust in God who gives us money instead of trusting in the money that he gives us. Here's a third way to say the same thing. Put your trust in the provider and not in the provision. Now, some of you go, wait, the provider? I provide what I have. In fact, Pastor Wayne, I'm a little offended that you would say that God provides provides because I didn't see God waking up and going to my job that I hate to work with my boss that I can't stand so I can provide a living for my family. I didn't see God waking up at 6 a.m. to go deal with that boss and deal with that job. I didn't see God there at my work. I didn't see God in my cubicle, you know, being annoyed with the person in the next cubicle who always plays the worst music on the planet. God wasn't there. In fact, that kind of offends me because I work hard 
for what I have. Well, that's one way to look at it. But here's another way to look at it if you're a Christ follower. 1 Timothy 6.17, part B. God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. See, this is the basis of being generous. The basis of being generous is to understand where our help comes from in the first place. It's to understand that it is God who gives us what we have. And we are just managers. We are just stewards of what is already belonging to him. Hello? Here's the issue with this. The issue is if we trust money and not God, we are always living in fear that there won't be any more left. Because if we're trusting in the provision, we only see what's in front of us, and we only see our bank account, and then here's the mentality that takes shape in all of our lives. What we do is we say, you know what, I want to be generous, but I can't afford to be generous. It must be nice for those people that can afford to be generous. Here's what I wanted to do. Look, look Look this way, everybody. Now, I, I haven't looked at any of your bank accounts, so this isn't personal towards anyone. This is all I know. If you're stingy with little, guess what? You'll be stingy with more. Stingy is stingy is stingy, right? Because it's this angle of God is the one that provides everything that I have and everything that I need, and then the definition of greed is simply to believe that everything that comes into your hands is meant for you. That's the definition of greed. So how do we fight that? How do we fight greed? Well, here's what Paul tells us. and I'm going to read that passage, the end of the passage, from what's called the message version of the Bible, because I love the way it says it. Watch this. Tell those who are rich in the world's wealth, tell those sitting on February 9th at Saints Community Church right here in the sanctuary... Tell those, he says, who are rich in the world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money. These aren't my words. These are Paul. Don't get mad at me, okay? Tell them to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. Let's say that together. Say extravagantly generous. Yeah. Paul's telling us to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining a life that is truly life. Wow. See, here's what what Paul is telling us. He's telling us, hey, here's the answer to greed. Here's the answer to to not being generous. The answer to not being generous, the answer to greed is to be extravagantly what? Generous. But here's a secret. The secret is that generosity doesn't happen accidentally. It only happens with intentionality. It's, it's, you're not just generous by accident. You have to do something, and it's a secret that I want to give all of us in the room, including myself. I want you to lean in on this. I want you to understand that this is the secret to becoming a generous person. This is the secret to doing what Paul asked all of us to do. 
The secret is this. Two words, and I want you to write these words down, okay? Really simple. Pre-decide. Pre-decide. Decide ahead of time. Decide before the moment comes. Decide before the money comes. Pre-decide that you are going to be a generous person. Because if I was to ask all of us in the room, if I was to say, how many of you want to be a generous person? All of us. I know that there's no one in the room that would, that would say, no, you know what, Pastor Wayne? I, I would prefer to be a stingy person. I, I just like stingy. I really appreciate stingy. I have a high appreciation for stinginess. No, we would all say we want to be generous, but our culture tends to allow us to drift away from generosity, doesn't it? Our culture pulls us away from generosity. This is what our culture kind of pulls us to do. It pulls us to do accumulation, consumption, upgrades, fashion forward, and a house full of stuff. Isn't that what our culture pulls us for? Did you see any commercials during the Super Bowl last week that said, you should just be a generous person. Don't buy our product. You shouldn't buy our product. You don't even need our product. You have good enough products in your home already. Take that money. Give it away to the poor. How many of you saw that commercial last week? I didn't see that commercial because that is not what our culture is preaching. Our culture is preaching, you need more. You need better. You need an upgrade. You don't have enough. You need this. You need that. Our culture doesn't preach generosity. So we have to fight the culture and say, I'm going to pre decide that as somebody who loves Jesus, that I am going to be a generous person. Everybody say pre-decide. Here's what happens if we go the route of the culture. What happens is we begin to live for the moment. We begin to live for the here and now, not understanding that the here and now is gone in the blink of an eye. And Paul actually tells, writes about this in another passage. He, he says this. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, hey, if this whole Jesus thing isn't real, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, if he wasn't really crucified, if this whole, you know, being a Christ follower thing, it's just all something that's made up and some emotional thing that we're all following, if it's not really the real deal, then what are we all doing here anyway? I mean, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Hello? How many think that sounds like our world, doesn't it? Let's just live for the moment. But Jesus actually battled that. He actually said things like, don't live for the moment. I want you to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. In other words, those of us that have decided to be generous have decided that if there's a life after this life, that means way more than this life. And by the way, when we're in eternity, when we're in heaven, and we're all with Jesus, this life will seem like it was a blink of an eye. The Bible talks about it being like a vapor. Like a vapor. So, Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We've got to pre-decide. Now, I want to break this down for you and make it really, really easy for you to pre-decide, okay? There's, there's two buckets that we have of giving at, at Saints Community Church. The first bucket 
is called the tithe. Everybody say tithe. The tithe is actually just a word that the, the Bible uses over and over and over. And the, the word actually means, the definition of tithe is 10%. Now, here's what's cool about this. What's cool about this is that God already decided the percentage for us. We don't even have to mess around with that. You don't even have to pray about it. Isn't that great? You don't have to talk to your wife about it. God actually already decided it for us. And you can read through it. It, it predates the law. It goes, it, it, it goes before the law, during the law, and after, even after Jesus came, the Bible talks about a tithe. Everybody say tithe. And the tithe is simply, God, whatever you place in my hands, I'm going to, before, before I do anything else, I'm going to give 10% of that back to you. And the tithe actually goes, in, in the way that the Bible tells us to do it, is that it actually goes to the local church, that our tithe goes to our local church. So here's what's cool about this. When you begin and you get this in your heart, and I was raised this way, and my wife Christy was raised this way. There are many of you that were raised this way, that 10% of whatever we get, and well, is it gross or is it net, Pastor? I mean, you know, God and I are having this discussion. Do I tithe on the gross? Do I tithe on the net? Listen, if you're, if you're asking that question, we need to have a whole other discussion, okay? It, it's, that's between you and the Lord. But whatever get, comes to our hand, even if you were to walk up today and you were to say, Pastor, I just want to bless you today. I want to just give you $100, you know, just, just you know, kind of do like a little handshake for you here. Here's $100. I'm telling you right now that $10 of that, everything that goes through our hands, through Christy and I's hands, no matter where it comes from, we tithe on that. We give 10% of it back. And this actually is what propels God's church to be able to function. Hello? To move forward in its mission. The reason? Look up, look up at these lights. Aren't these nice lights? Okay? Look this way. That's because many of you tithe. That the lights are on. Okay? This building is because many of you tithe. Okay? The staff that moves our, our, our mission forward are, are paid through the tithe. So the tithe is simply how much? How much is this? This is 10%. Saying, God, whatever comes through my hands, I'm giving you back 10%. But then there's this second bucket uh, that we have, and this is called, we're going to call this for today our, our project bucket, our project bucket. By the way, I always say that the tithe, this is not even generosity yet. You're not even hitting generosity. You're hitting what I call biblical obedience when you tithe. Okay? This is biblical obedience. This is biblical generosity, okay? This is the opportunity to go above the tithe, to give even more offerings, to give towards projects that, that Saints Community Church is partnering with around the world. Now, many of you know we did something called Kingdom Builders last year where we gave over and above our tithe. Let me tell you something. We, last year, had the opportunity to build a children's campground in Honduras. You were a part of that. Last year, we fed two villages in Guatemala and then sent a team over there to actually give out the food. How many think that's cool? Last year, we were able to partner with the New Orleans Mission where we gave them thousands of dollars to move the mission forward to help the homeless. We were able to partner with Baptist House to actually help victims that have been trafficked, ladies come off the streets and receive supplies so they can get into a new life. How many of you are glad you're a part of a church that's making a difference in the community and around the world? Yeah. 
For those of you that were from first last year, you did some incredible things as well. You did things like help UNO in its biggest outreach event to link students with Chi Alpha. Come on, Chi Alpha, can I hear you? Yeah. Last year, if you're from First Assembly, you, you also helped build desks for schools in Kenya. Your missions dollars, your above-the-tide dollars went to help buy desks for, for students that are in Kenya that wouldn't have had desks at school. How many of you are glad to be a part of a church that is helping people in the community and around the world? Yeah. When you tithe, that's biblical obedience. And, and I just got to tell you, this is when you get God involved in your finances. This is when God says, okay, they trust me enough to, to give me back 10%. This, I just got to tell you, everybody look this way. This is when it gets really fun. I'm talking about fun. You know why? Here's why. Because this is when God's people say, I'd rather choose stories over stuff. I'd rather be a part of people's stories than their stuff. I'd rather be a part of changing lives around the world than just to have more and more and more stuff. Because here's what happens as the band comes. Here's, here's what happens. What happens is around the world, when we do this, here locally, when we do this, their story when you are generous, becomes your story. The homeless person that came in off the streets into the New Orleans mission and that was clothed and housed and fed and possibly even went through a rehab program, guess what? Their story, you are actually now a part of. The lady that was helped, that was helped, that was a, a traffic victim from human trafficking that got off the street and began a new life, a life that's free of abuse, a life that's free of, of being exploited for her body. Guess what? You became a part of her story. The child that sat at a desk in a school somewhere in Kenya, you became a part of that story. This is fun. It's fun when we excel in generosity and we're able to give to our community, to our world, and to future our church. And some of you go, what are we going to do this year? Listen, we'll tell you in a few weeks what we're going to do. March 15th, we're going to announce the projects that we're going to do in the next year. There's one last bucket that I want to give you that you have to pre-decide that you're going to do. And this bucket has nothing to do with Saints Community Church. I decided to call this bucket just because. Just because I saw a need, I'm going to be generous. Just because God spoke to me that I need to give a bigger tip than I was planning on giving to the waitress, just because. Just because I learned that somebody in my small group needed a new car and I happened to have an extra car just sitting in my driveway I'm going to give that car, why? Just because. I'm going to be a generous person, just because. I want to be a part of a church 
that sees needs and decides to be generous. When we see needs not only in our house, but when we see needs in our community and around the world, I want to be a part and help lead a church that excels in the gift of generosity. That we're a generous church. That we almost have to say, stop giving. We don't have any more projects left. We don't know where to put it. How many of you would love to be a part of a church like that? 